Well, good evening. It's a, a privilege to be before you to teach God's Word tonight. I ask that you bear with me as I learn to uh, adjust to reading text and trying to look you in the eye as well. So. Our text, as Blake said, is um, Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. And we'll get to that in just a few moments. But understanding context is an important component in properly interpreting a passage of Scripture. So we'll take a brief look at the background in which Paul pins this letter to the believers in Rome. The church at Rome was most likely founded by those that had been converted on the day of Pentecost. Paul had longed to visit Rome and give apostolic instruction and encouragement to the believers there. Paul's opening remarks in chapter 1, verses 8 through 13, tell us this. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. We see in those verses, we see Paul's sincere desire to encourage and strengthen the faith of the saints in Rome. It's a window into which we can see the heart of a pastor, a true shepherd for God's people. Paul wrote this letter while he was in Corinth, most likely around A.D. 56 toward the end of his third missionary journey. All the doctrinal issues that Paul had been working through with the Corinthian church are perhaps on his mind and his heart to the effect that he sincerely desires to protect those saints in Rome from encountering those same struggles. So out of that desire, the desire of a pastor's heart to shepherd the flock of God is born this inspired letter. The first 11 chapters are rich instruction in the doctrines of grace. That God justifies guilty sinners by grace, through faith alone, through Christ alone. The apex of this profound doctrine is, of grace is expressed in Romans 11:33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And how inscrutable his ways. Then in chapters 12 through 16 of the letter, give detail the believer's proper response to this incredible truth. I hope you recall from last month, as Brother Tom Chain taught us from the first two verses of chapter 12, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto the Lord. The motivation for that is an increasing understanding of the mercies of God. Dr. Chain encouraged us to read through those 11 chapters with the purpose of seeing the mercies of God 
Well, he even listed 22 mercies of God for us and said that's not even an exhaustive list. So it's no wonder that Paul broke out into that doxology at the end of chapter 11. Well, this brings us to our focus text for tonight. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is God's word. There are two main points that I'd like to bring out of this text tonight. First, believers should have a biblical understanding of God's assignment of their role in the church. We can see that in verses 3 through 6a. And secondly... Believers should use the spiritual gifts given to them to enable a healthy church for the glory of God. We'll see that in verses 6b through 8. Well, Paul begins verse 3 with a statement of his apostolic authority for the charge he is about to give to the Roman believers. He says, by the grace given to me. Well, what grace was given to Paul? Recall that he was a persecutor of Christians, yet thought he was serving God in doing so. But in an incredible display of grace, the Lord himself called him out of religion and works of the law to faith in Christ. You can see Acts chapter 9 for the account of Paul's dramatic conversion to become an apostle of Christ. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 9 and 10, he said, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So Paul lays the foundation for his admonition solely on God's grace and not on his own merit. So what is the admonition to the church? In verse 3, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul uses the word think three times in that sentence. He starts with the negative. He says not to think of himself more highly than he ought. It's as if he is saying, don't think this way. Because the reality is you probably are already thinking this way. Because it's the natural bent for prideful, selfish people 
to think way too much of themselves, right? I mean, we generally don't have to work too hard to develop a high opinion of ourselves. We can see the, our natural abilities and think, well, you know, this church could really use my skills. Now, maybe we're not that audacious in our words, but in our minds, we drift toward thinking our natural talents could gain us notoriety or recognition within the church. So Paul starts by saying, don't think this way, and then he says, think this way. He uses the word sober, and it means this, to be of sound mind, sound in mind that is self-controlled, moderate as to opinion or passion. And that portion of that definition is what I think Paul has in mind here, moderate as to opinion about yourself. You see, we have extremes in our opinions. On the one end of the spectrum, we can think too much of ourselves. Prideful, arrogant, self-reliant. But on the other end of the spectrum, we can think too little and create a false humility. For example, have you ever thought something like this? Well, I just don't have much to offer. I could never teach. I could never lead a group. I could never disciple someone. I'm just not good enough. I don't have anything that would add to this church. You know, that it's, it's an extreme position, kind of a woe-is-me uh, mentality. In reality, it's really a, a defense mechanism that has its root in pride and self-reliance. So you have these two extremes in our self-perception. And Paul is saying, moderate that thinking. Get in the middle of that spectrum. He says, think with sober judgment. Now, judgment means to render a verdict. So he is exhorting us to think moderately and come to a right judgment about ourselves. Well, what could bring us to a right assessment of ourselves? Well, the end of verse 3 tells us. He says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Both ends of this spectrum are wrong because they deny that God's spirit within you is the reason you have value and purpose in the body of Christ, his church. The encouragement here for us, brothers and sisters, is that God, by his grace, has done a work in your life. That work is first the work of salvation. And secondly, he has also assigned you a measure of faith to fulfill a God-assigned role within the body of Christ. Every true believer has this. So that truth should pull us from those two extremes, one of self-reliance on one end and self-pity on the other, and ground us in the middle on the truth that God has placed you in the body of Christ, and God has given you purpose in his church. Now Paul gives us an analogy to help explain our God-assigned role in the body of Christ. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So Paul is using the human body as an analogy for how the church body functions. So very simply, the human body has many different parts or members, and each serves a distinct and vital function. If you take any of those members away, the body does not function as it's designed. 
And so it is with the church. As I said in the opening remarks, Paul is writing this letter to the Romans while in Corinth. We don't have time to explore all the history of the church at Corinth, but one of the big struggles that Paul had to address in his letters and in his visits to Corinth was division, due in part to a lack of understanding and proper roles in the church and the use of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 14 speak to this, and I would encourage you to read those passages as a complement to this text in Romans 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 through 19, you can read a more thorough discussion about this analogy of the design of the human body to the design of the church body. Just as the Lord designs our physical bodies with each member having a distinct and vital function, how much more then can we trust in His design for His church? The church is God's plan to manifest His glory. Just as we are to glorify God in our bodies, verse 1, so are we to glorify God in His church by using the spiritual gifts to make the body function per the Creator's design. A healthy church body is one that is unified by each member functioning in the gift the Lord has given. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 24 through 27 says this, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So back to our text in Romans, looking at verse 6. He says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So let's look at that phrase, according to the grace given to us. We've seen that phrase before back in verse 3. Only it was Paul declaring that it was grace that had made him an apostle. Well, now he repeats this phrase and he applies it to the members of the church. God has not simply made you a member of the body of Christ, but he has assigned you a spiritual gift. Every covenant member of CCBC has a spiritual gift according to his grace. That means it is not based upon your merit. It's by grace, which is unmerited favor. Therefore, a spiritual gift is not the same as a natural ability or a talent. Those things can be developed and learned. This is where we can go astray in our desire to serve. So what are you really putting your trust in to serve the Lord? Is it your skills developed in a vocation? Is it a program or a method of doing things that makes it all too easy to depend on a talent or a trained ability? You know, Paul had a passion to serve God, but it was based on keeping the law and self-righteous works. And we too can be trained in our traditions about church that are really far from what God desires in his church. Because we can completely rely upon ourselves, our talents, our training. We must realize grace. Spiritual gifts are a grace. 
it frees us. This grace frees us to depend upon God and not ourselves to serve His church. A spiritual gift is God-assigned and therefore has a sovereign purpose in His church. Consider deeply the grace we've been given. By grace you were chosen before the foundation of the world. By grace you have been given a gift of faith. You who were so far away from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Christ you have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. In Christ you have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. In Him you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And according to His grace, His unmerited, undeserved favor, He has given you spiritual gifts to be used in His church to the praise of His glory. And since God is a faithful and perfect creator, we can trust that the gift He has given us, according to His grace, is exactly what His church needs to manifest His glory. This leads us to our second point. Believers should use the spiritual gifts given to them to enable a healthy church for the glory of God. In verses 6 through 8 we read, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul is exhorting us to put to use the unique blend of spiritual gift that has been given every member of Christ's church by his grace. He then lists categories of gifts. And this is not an exhaustive list. You can find additional categories of spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. The emphasis here is not so much on identifying and categorizing your unique blend of gifts, but rather it is on faithfulness to use the gift. Faithfulness to use the gift. There's nothing profound about the instruction Paul gives. He's saying, if you have the gift of prophecy, which is speaking forth truth, then do it according to the understanding that God has given you. If you're compelled in the Spirit to serve, then serve. If you're gifted to teach, then teach. If you can exhort, which is call others to, to listen to and obey and follow God's Word, then do it. You see, it's not so much a focus on the gift, but rather it's, it's an exhortation to say, get to it. Use what has been given to you by God's grace. You know, it's one thing to gain knowledge of and be aware of spiritual gifts, but it's quite another to use them. We have to move beyond awareness to application. We must exercise our spiritual gifts. In keeping with the analogy of the human body to the church body, 
Medical experts tell us that a lack of exercise can lead to an unhealthy body. A lack of exercise leads to muscle atrophy, the contraction and weakening of the muscles, which contributes to an unhealthy and weak condition of the body. But with exercise, the muscles of the body grow stronger and the body more healthy. Likewise, in the church body, failing to exercise our spiritual gifts leads to an unhealthy church body. But realizing what God has graciously given to each member and exercising that gift leads to a healthy church body. In his book, What is a Healthy Church?, author Mark Dever defines a healthy church this way. A healthy church is a congregation that increasingly reflects God's character as his character has been revealed in his word. Reflecting God's character. That's the church's mission. To reveal the character, the glory of God to this fallen world. So look at the gifts God has given to his church. Speaking forth his word which is the very revelation of himself through his word, teaching his word, declaring the gospel, and training believers in righteousness, exhorting one another to listen to and follow the instruction of God's word, leading others according to the wisdom of God's word, serving others according to the examples of humble service we see in God's word, namely Christ Jesus. Showing mercy, the same as we have been shown mercy, as revealed in God's Word. Using our spiritual gifts enables a healthy church body by which the character of God is revealed, both to encourage the saints and commend the gospel to unbelievers. Well, how then do we exercise or use our spiritual gifts? 1 Corinthians 12.11 says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Submission to or yielding to the Spirit within you is the power by which our spiritual gifts are exercised. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In a few moments, we will recite our church covenant together. The covenant has this summary statement in it. It says, these and all other gospel duties we humbly submit unto, promising and purposing to perform, not in our own strength, being conscious of our weaknesses, but in the power and strength of our blessed God, whose we are and whom we desire to serve. Recognizing the grace of God to equip us with spiritual gifts is how we live out this covenant pledge. Friends, will you spend time this week meditating on the grace that God has given you? First, think on the grace of salvation. But secondly, this grace of spiritual gifts to his church. 
And will you commit in the power of the Spirit to use those gifts to reveal the character of God and manifest His glory through His church? Let's pray. Father, we just praise you as a wonderful creator. Your design for everything is perfect. And we look at the design of your church and how you, by your grace, have gifted every member with a vital function within your church to reveal your glory, to manifest your glory in this fallen world. So we pray, Father, that you would cause us to think upon the grace you have given us and to commit to you, to depend upon you and the power of your spirit within us to exercise those gifts, to bring unity in the body and glory to your name. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.